From Bureaucracy's Basement to your ears, this is the weekly meeting of the Queen City Improvement Bureau. Each week, the dedicated staff of the Bureau meet to make recommendations, file reports, and defend ourselves from the leopard in the hallway that tries to prevent us from getting to the sandwiches in the vending machine. One day, maybe, we'll escape from the subterranean hell that is this basement, maybe get a sandwich out of the deal, but until then... This city is not going to improve itself. So here we stay. Improving things. This meeting is now in session. Hello. Oh, greetings. How are you doing this fine afternoon? Or I'm evening? I'm doing evening. I don't even know the time anymore. I've Well, I've blacked out the windows, as you've probably noticed. It's getting too damn sunny. So well, thank you I for was, that. You're welcome. Well, I was reading a, uh, a a health manual from the Victorian era, and it advised me, and I didn't know this, that uh, too much exposure to the uh, sun's evil tendrils will uh, weaken your moral fiber. So I thought, if we keep evil sunlight out, we will stay strong and morally upright. Oh, good. That's great. Apparently the devil comes in through the eyes. So if you can't see anything, you're probably okay. I'm glad you've done that because it means that I will no longer have to chalk my skin so that I'll look like a person of moral uh, fiber. It, it, precisely. And uh, we won't have to eat fiber anymore either. No. Because uh, without light, our bodies generate their own fiber. People don't know that. <laughs> they, and, don't. Uh, they, they don't. And they all that they, time... Eating cereal. When, I know, uh, but if but if only they'd read the journals of Henry Q. Pennysworth, they would know. Yeah. Anyway, so um, we should anyway, probably I'm, have a I'm, meeting. I'm not gonna. We should. We should. I'm not. I'm not gonna spend too much time on our attendance tonight because uh, I know who we are. We're Paul <laughs> Shen and Aiden Morgan. That that we are. Yes. And we're present, but we don't mm-hmm. have quorum. We, we don't. So, but the one thing I'm not sure about is which one is the Paul and the which one is the Aiden. I don't think it really matters at this point. Not at this point, no. No, no. no I just, we, we just put on each other's identities uh, so many times for, you know, out of sheer boredom in this basement that now we just, you know, we don't remember anymore. They were just the same identity and just the names are there for convenience sake. Exactly. And one day when we get out, somebody will tell us. Yeah. Awesome. So what's, right. what's going on? What's on our agenda today? Uh, well, you may remember that a few years ago, it was decided that uh, cannabis use in Canada and cannabis sales would become legal. And, uh, the city of Regina then had to like go through the whole process of coming up with zoning regulations so that they could uh, say yes to businesses that sell pot and decide where to put them. And part of that whole process of coming up with zoning and regulations for uh, cannabis businesses, uh, administer, uh, council asked administration to come back in 2021 with a report about like the state of Regina's cannabis industry. And that report has returned and it is going to executive committee on June 2nd. And uh, so I thought I would give us like a preview of some of the exciting uh, info that's in this report. So what you're saying is we're going to learn pot prospectus. A pot prospectus? A what? The pot prospectus. Pot prospectus. Okay. I don't know why I'm finding that so hard to say. Maybe we're going to learn the ganja gestalt. Oh, I like that one. Do you think think we're going to learn about the uh, the weed Welton Shawong? Yes, I think we will learn that. Or as they would say in Germany, the weed Welton Shawong. Were you able to just pull that or did you have to go to Google Translate? No, no, I, 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 was, just, I was just trying to, 
my brain was just throwing out words. But anyway, but yeah, but I am excited to hear all about the Sensimila Sitch. Okay, well, I can provide that to you because uh, Statistics Canada uh, has put out a report hold, with some information. Hold on a sec. Hold on. What? Got to hold on one sec. Yeah. What's the Cush case, Paul? What's the Cush case? Well, the Cush case, Aiden, is uh, Statistics Canada has found that uh, by late 2020, one in five Canadians or 20% have reported having used cannabis in the past three months, which was higher than the 14% of reporting such before legalization and the 18% reporting just in the first few months after legalization, which makes me wonder, like, if you're part of that 14% who's admitting that you've been using cannabis when it's illegal, mm-hmm. what were you, what were you smoking? Um, Saskatchewan Probably oregano. Are, oregano. Yeah. Uh, Saskatchewan residents <laughs> though are uh, some of the lower than average in Canada at 13.9%. They've also noted really? that, and they suspect this is uh, a result of the pandemic. The, the pandemic influence uh, found that in March 2021, mm-hmm. one in three Canadians were now reporting that their uh, their cannabis use had increased. So, so the pandemic is almost like a potdemic. Yes, and I'm sure there will be awesome a, a documentary named that. I hope so. On the rebel. Um, <laughs> Yeah, what else did they have to say? Statistics Canada found that um, that legalization is making a significant dent in the black market. And this is a big concern. Like, is legalizing pot actually going to uh, reduce I- illegal cons- or illegal purchasing uh, from illegal vendors? And uh, they're finding that 68% of consumers are reporting having obtained their, uh, at least some of their cannabis from a legal source in 2020, which is substantially higher than 23% before legisl- legalization and 47% just after legalization. So more people at least are reporting that some of their pot use is legal uh, now that it's available. Um, and they're finding that household spending on unlicensed cannabis has declined in every year since legalization from $1.2 billion in 2018 to $714 million by the end of 2020. So I'd say that's a dent. Well, anyways, uh, the other big thing that came out of this report is just the importance of uh, the legal market getting better cost, location, and supply. And that's the big obstacle to people using legal bot. Uh, the industry analysis from uh, the federal government suggests that um, the general rule for a mature market is one store for about 10,000 people. So for Regina with a population of 239,000 people, there should be about 24 stores to ensure a healthy business environment that will actually really start to like drive the uh, black market into the, into the shadows. Currently, we only have 11 stores, though, which is up from the six that we were originally allowed to have. Um, but there are currently 11 applications that have been uh, for uh, 11 applications for development permits in the city and uh, who are awaiting for final approval from the SLGA. So we could, you know, very soon, within like a year or so, have 22. So pretty close to the 24 target that we should have. Oh. Yeah. So soon we won't be able to move without tripping, tripping over a, a pot shop. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the one other question that, you know, some people have is like uh, the taxes and, uh, you know, the money that's coming back from the legal market. Uh, the Saskatchewan total cannabis sales were approximately 38 million in 2018, 2019, almost doubled to 70 million in 2019, 2020. Uh, there are taxes on that. Um, the federal government uh, collects a collects a tax. Uh, we're not getting any of that at the city level, though, right now in Saskatchewan. That's all going to the province. Uh, <laughs> what doesn't go to the feds is going to the province right now. But it's become a sizable business. Like, uh, you know, $70 million business is not something 
to sneeze at. You know, the, the city should, like City Hall, should turn itself into a gigantic, like, weed store. Like a weed superstore. Yeah, because then uh, we would be very cost recovery at the city of Regina. Extremely. Like you could come and get like your license for something renewed and uh, Mm. pick up a gram or two. Yeah. Of like, I don't know, Northern Lights or like a little bit of the Blue Dream. Right. All that good stuff. Just sort of like cut cut the anxiety that comes from paying your property taxes. Precisely. Or your parking tickets. (laughs) One thing that I remember from when all of this stuff was going down is that uh, the police were saying that uh, this is going to be a very costly thing to implement is a uh, legalization regime in the city. Uh, One thing that has not happened, though, is that it hasn't like increased the amount of work that the RPS has had to do in terms of like impaired driving and such. They've seen no increase in rates of impaired driving since legalization, no notable increase in the number of youths consuming or being charged with possession, and uh, no increase in workplace issues related to cannabis use. So yeah, it looks like it's been kind of a nothing burger as a lot of people were hoping. Because I watched... um... Uh, reefer madness recently and everybody who smoked there like got into car accidents and murdered each other so i you know i was worried that we were going to have you know hop heads you know going all going all nutso on the daddy-o or however, however it is that they do that one of the things, though, that might be skewing the statistics is that it's a little bit self-selecting and that all the hop heads would die and True. then, right, they're not around to to drive impaired anymore. That's you're right. They just they 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 take a puff and then they get in their their jalopy and they just slam into a building and that's that. Yep. And hmm. good riddance to bad rubbish. <laughs> good good riddance to those hopheads hanging out yeah. on the corners and uh, corrupting our youth with their uh, devil sticks. Yeah. Also with their devil sticks, you know, those things that you, you know what I'm talking about. Well, yeah, because like hopheads love those. Devil sticks, hula hoops, <laughs> hacky sacks. Juggling, juggling hacky yeah. sacks, yeah. jazz quartets. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's it. That is, uh, I don't know, the marijuana report Ooh, for 2021. I'm- I'm glad we I'm glad we got the marijuana report. Now we can take action. Which of course should have been the reefer report, but I fucked it up. I fucked uh, the joke up, Aiden. Oh, should have been the reefer report. Darn. Um oh. yeah. So there is one negative thing in the report. Uh and I guess depending on your perspective, because I'm sure Councillor Hawkins is just outraged. Lid that people ledger, are ledger. Sorry. The lid ledger. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure Hawkins is livid that people are doing pot just to begin with. But um, yeah, people are, because we have all of these zoning rules about like how far apart pot shops have to be and how far away from churches and schools and parks they have to be, there aren't actually a lot of spots left in the city where you're allowed to put up a cannabis store and we're going to be doubling the number of cannabis stores. And apparently the people who are applying for licenses are actually quite frustrated that their, uh, their choices for uh, retail locations are just so constrained. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. So administrations upstairs, they are going to be coming out with a report uh, later this year where they're going to, uh, you know, make some recommendations about uh, ways to adjust the uh, bylaw to make the, uh, the the city a little bit more uh, pot business friendly. Cool. Yeah. So what else have we got? Well, we've got that we are on 91.3 FM CJTR, uh, tuned into the community, and we are the Queen City Improvement Bureau. Oh, and don't forget, we've got the, uh, there's a lottery going on. That's true. There's a whole lot of lottery. The Sask Adventure Look and Listen Lottery for 2021. Mm. Yep, tickets are 20 bucks a pop. You can order, you can get them online at cgtr.ca slash lottery. Uh, if you like this kind of banter, 
and you want more of it. Well, why don't, why don't you pick up a ticket or two or more? Uh, there, are, there are three, I think, travel packages for COVID-approved travel within, within the province, and they are fantastic. Uh, I know there's a romance package at the James Hotel in Saskatoon. There's a, sort of a Western ranch package at Reeser Ranch in, uh, in the Southwest. And I think there's like an Elk Ridge Resort one as well up in uh, just outside of uh, Prince Albert National Park. Um, yeah, these, these are all like wonderful ideas. And I know a lot of people in Saskatchewan, uh, if they're not camping, they like to travel outside. They like to go to like Vegas or Hawaii or Palm Springs or Phoenix or, you know, these places. But you should try these destinations because they are amazing. I've tried them myself. Highly recommend. Yep. And tickets are a mere $20, I do believe. And your odds of winning are better than the lottery. And there are steep discounts if you buy buy packages, like multiple tickets. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And uh, there's a 50-50 draw. And the tickets for those are, I think, only $10. Right. Um, So you could take home 50% of the pot. Uh, and I think, is it June 4th? Is it coming up that soon? Yeah, I think it's really soon. Okay, yeah. So you've only got a few more days, people. Yeah. So Order. get on that. Yeah. Order away. All right. Uh, do you know what else we have? Why don't you tell me? Lead in our drinking water for another 15 years. Whoa. Okay, because I need to build up those lead deposits. So I'm glad we've got another decade and a half to do it. Going to make a big deposit to the lead bank. <laughs> the lead bank of my own body and my yeah. brain. Yeah. yeah. So uh, we were talking about this in our last meeting that uh, there was a, they were considering a 10-year uh, lead service connector replacement program at uh, – at operations committee, sorry, it was a 15 year program. Uh, there was like a request to like reduce that to 10 years. They said, no, 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 it has to be 15. It went to council. Everybody's kind of hoping they could reduce that time. And council said, yeah, no, we're going to go with the 15. Uh, the argument is that coming from administration is that it's just cheaper and less, there, it causes less inconvenience if we have a longer program. And until, until this council meeting on uh, May 26th, uh, the the lead removal program was 30 years. So this is an improvement going to 15, but uh, there was some hope among some councillors that it would get dropped to 10. A uh, motion from uh, Councillor Andrew Stevens to reduce the lead removal program to 10 years uh, was defeated seven to four. Uh, who voted for that? It was Brashani, Fendura, Shaw, Mole, uh, Mancinelli, and uh, Mayor Masters, and there was, mm-hmm. oh, and Hawkins, Councillor Hawkins. And they basically, Hawkins basically argued, I'm not 100% sure, I've not done his math, but he says that if you go from a 15-year to a 10-year program, it doubles the cost. Um, what we would actually be talking about here is uh, for a 15-year program, we would be getting a 2% increase to the utility rate this year. To go to a 10-year program, we get a two-year, 2% increase this year and next year. Mm-hmm. And to go to a five-year program, it would be a 3%, a 3%, and then a 1% increase over three years huh. to yeah. fund the program. So these are actually not like, these are not massive increases to the, pro- to the utility bill. Um, and they would just be for a short period of time. But apparently, uh, this is one of the big concerns that councillors, especially Hawkins, are hearing uh, from residents is that they are paying too much on their utility bills. Uh, we had a lot of years where the utility bills were increasing by quite a bit to fund uh, the new wastewater treatment plant. And we're, we needed to fund uh, upgrades that are currently being uh, planned and implemented at Buffalo Pound for drinking water. And we got a bunch of funding for waste, uh, for water drainage and stuff. Um, but yeah, apparently we can't find an extra few percent increases to the utility bill to get lead out of um, people's drinking water. Uh, 
the the neighborhoods that are the most affected um, in the report, they pointed out the cathedral, 21% of, of the residences in cathedral have lead service connections on the city side. So that's like one in five houses in cathedral has a lead service connection. 13% in North Central, uh, 4.5% downtown, 6.5% in Center Square, and 16.9% in Old Lakeview uh, have lead service connections. So these are significant percentages of these neighborhoods. And as Councillor LeBlanc pointed out, we're currently going through this program where we're trying to, you know, increase the density of the core of the city because that's uh, good for, you know, the infrastructure costs and makes for a more vibrant city. But it's going to be very difficult to encourage people to move into neighborhoods like downtown Cathedral, North Central and Center Square and Lakeview when you can't guarantee that they have clean drinking water. That is a good point. Um, also, you know, that, that does explain a few things about the cathedral area. So, okay. Yep. Yeah, you, you know, could like say that. The, the average community association meeting, I now get it. Yeah. Um, a couple of changes were made. Uh, there is, if you have like lead on the resident side, you have to pay for that, but they do have a program, a five-year and a 10-year program to pay off the replacement of your lead pipes. Uh, Councillor Stevens passed a motion to remove, there's like a utility, like a, a service charge that you would have to pay of $300, even if you're low income. So that $365 fee for low income people will be lifted. Only Councillor Shaw voted against that, which seemed a strange thing to be voting against. And, um, yeah, we'll be getting a report, uh, an annual report about the state of the lead service connector program. And we'll also be getting, uh, one of the things they've noticed is that the number of people who are getting, uh, lead service, uh, lead filters, cause the city has an annual lead filter program. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's a very low uptake. It's like, you know, less than 10% of the people who have lead in their lines are getting the filters, uh, so they're going to be beefing up the communications program for that. And it's worth noting that this program used to be just one and done. You'd get a filter from the city uh, and a couple replacement filters. I think it lasted about three to four months. And then that was it for 15 or 30 years, however long the program was. Uh, and they called that a filter program when really all they were giving you was an apparatus to hold a filter. Uh, that, uh, thanks to a, a change in the budget meeting in March is now going to be an annual program so that you'll be, you'll get access to more filters than you did before, but that's only two, uh, two months old. Um, and that's about it. Uh, <clears throat> one of the things that I was thinking is we've talked about this over and over and over again about having a lead awareness day mm -hmm. to sort of get people thinking about the lead in their water so that they'll take uh, the whole, you know, effort to get the lead out more seriously. It's occurred to me that the atomic number for lead is 82. So the natural day to have our lead awareness day, August 2nd. And so I think we should just declare it now. Oh, yes. August 2nd Perfect. is lead awareness day in the city of Regina. And I, I want to do a, a, we need a mascot. And I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm thinking we need like, an ostrich, like Plumbo the lead yep. ostrich. I was thinking a Plumbo or a Plummy or something. Yeah. Yeah, perfect. Putting his head in the sand. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. So anyways, that's the state of lead in our city. 15 years to get it all out. And uh, yeah, and that's it. That's that's the big stuff. There was a bunch of stuff about uh, stunting, racing, and car noise, but we can talk about that another time. Sure. That sounds good. Yeah. But with that, we should probably move on to our innovative revenue tools. Uh, I don't suppose you have uh, one from the Bureau? Uh, well, you know, I, I think I, I think we could have done the lottery one, but we kind of jumped on that a bit quickly. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, I mean, the only other one that comes to mind is one that I suggested earlier, which is to turn uh, City Hall into um, Pot Palace. I like it. The Queen City Pot Palace. Yeah. Or the Queen City Weed Warehouse. I like that. Uh, we could um, we could have Hatch. like a whole 
We could have a whole like city of Regina branded line of uh, cannabis products. Um, oh, because there's not much cooler than city of Regina branded merch, I guess. Yeah. Like yep. Queen City CBD oil or uh, <laughs> Queen City dried marijuana flower. Yeah. That's uh, uh, people will love it. Yeah. All right. Well, on that note, we should go to commercials. The Queen City Improvement Bureau would like to acknowledge the Regina Warehouse Business Improvement District for their support of our show. The Regina Warehouse Business Improvement District. Improving the district where there are warehouses in Regina. And uh, we have a guest tonight. Uh, we have we do? We do. We do. It's Michael Parker, the executive director of the Newo Yotina uh, Friendship Center. Yeah. On, uh, you know, 11- you tell me often that we have a guest and then like it's like either like a paper mache sculpture or it's nobody at all and i'm a little tired of it this time it's a real guest oh okay then sorry sorry for doubting you does that make up for all of those times that it was a paper mache sculpture yes it does okay well it's michael parker who's our guest oh hi michael Hello, hello. Okay, you're definitely not paper mache. I feel much better. So uh, you are the uh, ED at Neo Yotina Friendship Center. You've been in the news recently because you have a, um, an overdose prevention site that you've set up. But I wanted to start by asking you, like, what is the Neo Yotina uh, Friendship Center just in general? Yeah, so we're, we're a member of, like, of, the, of a national movement of friendship centers. So there's, there's over 100 friendship centers across the country. And we're part of that National Association of Friendship Centers. And then there's a provincial um, association, Friendship Centers of Saskatchewan as well. So um, Friendship Centers came up kind of in the 60s, um, 70s primarily, um, kind of um, originally just sort of like independent um, organizations and that formed by Indigenous people, for Indigenous people, um, who were kind of coming into urban centers kind of for the first time. It's kind of the abolition of the pass system. People didn't have to get an Indian agent's approval to leave. Um, And so it was almost like a kind of like a, a well, like, you know, friendship center, friendship society, uh, helping, helping people settle in urban centers. So that's kind of generally where, where it looks obviously since, since then things have evolved and, Every friendship center kind of has its kind of own things, and um, some are really big, have multi-million dollar facilities, and have loads and loads of government funding. Um, in Regina, we're sort of on the probably on the smaller side of things, and there's yeah, there's other kind of urban indigenous organizations that also operate in the city that you know in other other parts of the country might those roles may actually be filled by a friendship center. And so we've been in our current location for about three years. So right on 11th Ave and Osler was an old doctor's office that was adjacent to the Artful Dodger uh, when the Dodger was up and running. It's kind of quite, quite an old, old building. And um, the doctor's office setup actually worked pretty nice for offices and waiting area. And, and yeah, we do breakfast there. Um, Monday to Friday, done that since we've we've been in that location. Um, we've got resolution health support workers um, and cultural support worker that's connected to the Indian residential school um, settlement. And so that's part of like the supports um, that were mandated by the courts there. When there was um, hearings for the, the schools for survivors, um, the like the workers would have attended and provide provided support. Um, with the hearings kind of wrapped up, it's it's sort of shifted more to like programming and services and sort of support groups, men's support group and women's support group. Obviously, COVID has like created some challenges with sort of some of those kind of things in the last year. We've gone virtual where we can, kind of shifted more to sort of basic kind of essential services. We increased food security the size of the breakfast and things like that in this last year. We have a brand new housing program as of a year ago where we're um, able to provide supported um, housing placements. So we're not a housing provider. 
but we've got a kind of a partnership with Silver Stage Housing and we're able to place people into um, units and make sure that they've got um, the stability um, and support to kind of maintain that situation. You know, a lot of those cases, we had individuals that had like open um, uh, open files with child protection. We were able to resolve those files in a way that kept children with the families. So that that's, I think, kind of like a real success of that that program um and just sort of like there's some other kind of like basic services we have so we've got like internet like computers with internet phone public phone um people can use fax photocopy documents as needed all like fairly um essential things for someone if they're low income or just moved um or going through any sort of like major life transition. And that's kind of really how we see like the the friendship centers have kind of evolved from that initial transition of like from rural to urban, where now it's sort of sort of different life transitions or different, you know, graduating from high school and you're out on your own for the first time or you're moving cities, right? So the first place you might come to would be a friendship center. Other services that we've got, um, yes, we've got youth programming. Again, that's been primarily virtual recently. And then we were running a language classes in Cree, Soto, um, and Nakoda, uh, sort of like introductory language classes. That's kind of come to a close for now. We've, we haven't, uh, haven't got word if there's going to be kind of a con- continuation of funding for that. That would be a whole episode in itself to talk about language program funding. <laughs> and do you also have a So You Think You Can Powwow program? Yes, yep. Yes, and there's a powwow program as well. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, just like an in- introduction to like powwow dance. Um, right. Children and youth, uh, primarily. And uh, yeah, that's that's been a great, that's actually our longest running program. Nice. It sounds like it must be pretty fun. Yeah, yeah. I, it is. Uh, I've actually had my kids participate in it at times, and yeah, tiny tots, the young young categories, five five year olds, and yeah, that's always that's always fun. We've got all this stuff. Sounds great, but I am really curious about the overdose prevention site because um, that's something that I feel like people have identified that as a need in Regina for some time, and it's uh, it's great to finally hear that that's coming. Can you kind of give us a rundown of what that service is? Yeah. So really, um, you know, we, and we, you'll notice we use the language overdose prevention site, as opposed to like a supervised consumption site. And it's, there's a technical reason. Um, overdose prevention sites tend to be leaner and smaller scale and not necessarily long-term uh, in the same sense. And there's a different way of getting the approval for it. And then the, the biggest difference in the approval is it's, again, it's quicker, leaner to get approved, but it's not, but it's got a definitive end date typically for those, those sites. Again, that'll vary province to province, whereas the supervised consumption sites, you have to get federal approval for. Mm-hmm. We decided to go that route back in October. There was some kind of um, discussions really connected to what to do about kind of addictions and overdose issues in the city. And these conversations probably started a couple of years ago like a big credit would probably go to Ronnie Nordell who helped kind of organize things. Um, and just as a, as a private citizen, she did that from like a consulting perspective, her organizing those meetings, taking the, taking the minutes and circulating all that and doing all that contact work to go with like, a, you know, the way the city typically does things like that is they would hire a consultant and pay them 10, 20, Forty, fifty thousand dollars, depending on on the nature of what it is, and and that was that uh, was done from the side of her desk, and really there was some reports that came from that from different meetings that were organized, that were foundational for for us to sort of be able to validate the need. Right, I think we knew from the moment we opened in that location, and really before, like you know how prevalent addictions are and like the, the, the issues around overdoses, but really um, in that, that location and like in this location, like in our first month of operating, um, you know, we had to respond to an overdose in, in the bathroom. Right. Um, yeah. at, the, at that point, I didn't know which screwdriver I needed to open the door handle. Right. <laughs> Jeez. 
and there was a there was a fellow who had, had passed out in, in the uh, looked like had seized in, um, in in the bathroom and there's needles sticking out of his like you know paramedics were able to come and and uh, revive him yeah we knew that was a thing you know we we got the housing you know we really knew like housing's a big big issue and so we've got our housing supports in and and hopefully that's just the beginning of that as well there was these kind of ongoing conversations that group was brought together again in october to talk about overdoses and what we could do um in saskatoon they had just gotten the the prayer harm reduction had got their supervised site up and and operational just recently through that discussion it was sort of determined that like really us at the friendship center with our location the space that we had um the fact that we had no provincial funding to begin with so we didn't have anything to lose yeah and then we had some extra resources from kind of uh COVID response. And that's kind of, again, benefit of being part of this friendship center movement. They advocated nationally um, and got private funding as well as federal funding that they were able to funnel through to local centers, be able to beef up our, our services and programs and kind of deal with the extra costs with a PPE and all these different things with COVID response. So, um, How many clients are you seeing a day? It's not even been two weeks. We've been open. We didn't do any um, external advertising. We only did word of mouth. And so I think um, we're seeing kind of like four a day. It's kind of been the the top, and that's oh. that's I think I think we're on on par for where we should be for being two weeks in. Um, that there is a kind of this slow growth, and and it has been. Yeah, sort of steadily increasing kind of their frequency. And we've got people coming back who've, who've come in before, right? And every time they've been able to use safely. So what's your capacity like? You know, like what's what's your outer, like upper limit of the sort of your, the volume of clients that you could handle? Like at a time that we can have, yeah. we can, like, so with, with the social distancing, we can have two individuals um, using the service simultaneously. Without social distancing, we can have three. Okay. There's a there's a ratio there of staff to um, people using the service that we have to maintain, and we we hit that ratio too with the space three to one. And so, and generally, somebody would take you know fifteen to thirty minutes um, to go through kind of like the the registration um, intake. Um, you know, we go through some questions like, what are you using today? Um, have you used this before? You know where you got it from? Um, is this somebody you got from before? Um, that really important data first for the paramedic, if in case there is an overdose so that they know what they're dealing with, you know? Um, and um, it also means if, again, if there's like an adverse reaction um, or if there's like a, a potentially fatal overdose, um, then we're like we were able to say this is what's being this is what it was um and right if somebody says like I, i'm bringing this you know this is heroin but then they have a reaction and then it turns out that there's fentanyl in it that they weren't expecting or that the quantities are not what they expected um you'll see that there's been like some alerts come from prayer harm reduction um about some of the some of the stuff that's being found so you communicate with the uh, Saskatoon harm reduction site as well? Yeah. Yeah. They've been really instrumental in being able to set up mm-hmm. first from just the fact that it was done. And I think the, for the folks here in Regina, um, we, I don't think we would have considered it as an option had it not been done before or wouldn't have been able to been so quick to, to, to say we would go for it. Um, and then just lots of practical advice that shared, you know, extensive policy procedure um, components, which are essential for, you know, satisfying insurance requirements and all these exciting things that are necessary to be able to kind of operate sustainably. So, yeah. The, and, and even to the point where they've even done uh, directed some of their fundraising our way. For people who've never uh, visited a uh, safe consumption or an overdose prevention site, what is it like? Like, what's the atmosphere like? Like, like what, what do people experience when they come in to see you guys because they want to use your facility? Um, 
Well, I think we're, we're, we're establishing that now. Um, and, and really the, the field we want to go for is friendly library. Oh. Um, you know, like where it's calm, quiet, um, people are respectful. Um, and, uh, but there's not that angry librarian. Shing. I haven't met many of those. Most of the librarians I've met have been, been, not like that so i think i think paul is hoping that like you you were gonna, you were going to say that there would be themed places like there'd be like a caribbean room or something <laughs> no, uh, no you'd have to go to the karaoke bar that's next door <laughs> yeah, they have a rough rider room and oh do they yeah, yeah. <laughs> so how many people like are involved in the uh the overdose prevention site like do you do you have like a nurse on staff or is it just or is it just you no no i so we like at the friendship center as a whole we have 12 staff okay well that's that's a good okay. size staff yeah the the overdose prevention site so like our we, you know we'd call that like our harm reduction kind of department or whatever uh has two staff so there's a primary care par- paramedic who's the the person responsible for the for the site um and then a harm reduction support worker. Yeah, we don't have. Yeah, we don't have any um, RNs, or and that's part of why it's considered overdose prevention as opposed to supervised consumption. Mm. And uh, yeah, so that's that's how, how that goes. Yeah. Yeah. And you said this is temporary. Like, do you like what is the timeline on this? Yeah. So so we we have an exemption to operate, right? So controlled substances or illegal substances, you know, if, um, if they were on site um, and, and we were, um, and people were had possession, right? Possession charges. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're not allowed to possess this stuff. Uh, not that there's a lot of enforcement on somebody who's like on the end, end user um, the uh, these days, but, you know, there's still that potential and there's that stigma and fear that people have. Um, that exemption basically means that nobody can get in trouble for possessing these substances on site. Um, the exemption is, um, runs until end of September. Oh, that's not long. No, no. And, and we'd, we started in October. Our hope was by January that we were going to be operational. That was very kind of like a aggressive timeline. That was assuming everything went perfectly well. We didn't know what we were entirely signing up for, um, having not not done it before. So, our our intention is to continue um, and to obtain a, you know a further exemption, and and, I, and our intention is to obtain the um, full federal supervised consumption status, which will you know to operate in perpetu- in perpetuity. Um, and, and hopefully at some point it's not a needed service, but it is mm-hmm. now. Yeah. So that's, that's our intent. We've got, um, we have resources in place that we can operate at our current capacity, which is the Monday to Friday, nine to five or nine to four, sorry. You know, those hours are tied to when we're normally open. And that's because to be, again, to operate safely, we need to have three people around. And mm-hmm. I think you mentioned we've got two staff associated with the program. So to go outside of those hours, we need to have additional staffing outside of what we currently have from our other programs that kind of back it up, right? Um, so yeah, that's that's our kind of intention long term is to to do that, and you know we want to we want to be able to work with the province to kind of keep the temporary exemption um, in place until we can get the federal one. Um, Long term, um, the other thing is is for this program to have maximum benefit. Like, really, it does need to be uh, longer than you know nine to four, Monday to Friday. Um, but that's what you know. That's that's the capacity we have now with the resources we have now. Uh, if we had additional resources, you know, aka like regular funding from from the province. Um, you know, one of the things, uh, maybe this was an idea that you got from the, that came from the basement, but they did put, put forward some, you know, $500,000 of funding, um, which I think, you know, was announced last, uh, in the last couple of months. That wasn't us. That wasn't the, the, No, 
The only suggestion that I had was uh, killer t-shirts like they have in Saskatoon. Right. Well, the killer t-shirts are, are cool, but are born out of necessity that there is no, there's no provincial funding to support their consumption site. Yeah. And, right. And so, you know, for me, if, if we need to sell t-shirts or buttons or, or things like if that's what we have to do, then that's what we have to do. I'd rather we don't have to so that we can focus on. And, and again, this is not a critique of, of prayer harm reduction whatsoever. They're, they're hustling because they have to hustle, but I'd rather that we just focus on providing services. Um, and the, the best way to do that is through some just direct government funding for to cover things adequately. And, but that's, that's the wish. Do you have a dollar amount that you have in mind that you guys would need annually to fund a consumption site? So to operate kind of at the scale we're operating right now, we need about a hundred thousand annually um, to go 24 seven at, at the sort of, at, at the scale, you'd probably be looking at like 500,000 at that point. Cause you're needing three gifts of, of three staff, um around the clock right um yeah yeah that would be yeah that's so probably about five yeah that that's just a kind of rough rough numbers um our kind of goal is that we just needed to get over the over over the line of opening there's a whole Mm -hmm. lot of whole lot of planning and 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 such that we still have to do um to keep things going forward i mean it, it was impressive enough that you managed to you know open in april on like a january timeline i mean because i imagine this is probably massive bureaucratic and social challenges to overcome in getting in getting to this point so i mean that's i mean that's that's already like as far as i'm concerned that's that's quite something so thank you yep I was wondering how oh, it's been good. received in the community at large. I mean, you're fairly, I mean, you're fairly established as a friendship center there. What's the um, what's been your feeling on on the uh, overdose prevention site, aside from the you know the clients coming in? So uh, from the general community, so our um, our inbox has been flooded with um, messages of support. <laughs> oh, I have not oh. received a single critical message directly on any of our social media channels or through our, our website email. Now I know there are critics out there. Um, I, I avoid uh, the social media news comment section, which is I think where that critique has been expressed and also where the critique has stayed. Good. And so the, the only, the only direct feedback that we've received has been positive. Um, we have never received so many um, people or so many requests for how do we donate? Um, how do we volunteer? Uh, volunteering is a tricky one right now because of social distancing and limitations on space, right? Um, it's, uh, it's, it's a kind of cramped for staff as it is right now. And so I, I think the, so, you know, my take is like the community support is, is being, been real positive um and 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 people there's been so many people who've been affected by uh, losing loved ones through because of a fatal overdose right and like from my understanding there hasn't been a documented death at a supervised consumption site in canada because they're able to like the is there overdoses absolutely but there's there are um that people are able to be revived or the overdoses like that it's they're not fatal right so the, right. these are primarily preventable with the narcan and with you know there's other tools that we have as well um you know we had to bring an aed on site we have oxygen tanks on site um that that we can provide the tools of like a paramedic but we're able to to bring that stuff out immediately. Um, well, that's we're about out of time. That's uh, thanks for that. Mm-hmm. If people want to contribute, um, like say money to yeah. uh, to the New Adina Center, uh, where would they go to do that? So the the best way to donate right now is through e transfer. Um, 
like people can drop off gold bars and diamonds if they like. Um, <laughs> I don't know what I'd do, but but we wouldn't say no. Well, there's a pawn shop across <laughs> the street, so yeah, well, yeah, maybe. Um, the the best way is e transfer, um, and and that's just uh, donate at neotina.ca. One thing is is uh, we're our our charitable status is in the works, so we we can't. And do the charitable tax receipts at this point. That has not been a big deterrent for for most folks who want to contribute. Um, and so we're, we're grateful for that. We are a registered nonprofit, um, but that charitable status piece is just something that has uh, yet yet to be completed. So. All right. Cool. Okay. Well, thank you very much for coming in and talking to us about yeah, this. Thank you, Michael. Really appreciate it. All right. Thank Paul and Aiden. So uh, yeah, so well, thanks, thanks to uh, thanks to Michael Parker for that for that interview, uh, and uh, I guess now we should move to adjourn. Well, I will second that motion. Well, in that case, motion passed. You have been listening to the Queen City Improvement Bureau on ninety-one point three FM CJTR, Regina Community Radio, tuned into the community. Your hosts are Paul DeShannon and Aiden Morgan. Music by Ryan Hill, aka Guidewire. Our guest tonight was Michael Parker from the Yonatima uh, Friendship Center. Got that right? Uh, yeah, you know, ever since I found out that uh, the cockpit is not on anymore, it's it's thrown me off completely with these entries. But yeah. nonetheless, I will I will persevere. Uh, we we are broadcast live or no, not live anymore uh, from Thursday evenings uh, seven to eight, and we broadcast Monday afternoons three to four p.m. Uh, yeah. Find us on Twitter, Queen City IB, our website, queencityib.com. And of course, all of our shows are archived on cgtr.ca, the website. Somewhere Find in there. there. Somewhere in there. Just poke around. Uh, yeah, so we've got the Nerdcore Cabaret coming up, followed by music, and then music, and then music. That's all. Keep on improving, Regina.